welcome to Rugged Theology, where we talk church planting, theology, and drink coffee. All right, in five, And welcome to Rugged Theology. I am your host, Adam Diamond. Um, if you heard the shenanigans that were happening earlier, which you didn't, but if you had heard them, you would know that if I didn't introduce myself, we never would have gotten started. Um. <laughs> All right, so we have a, uh, I figure a different podcast. I figure we try something different um, for this week. And we're going to be talking about the Reformation, and we're going to release it on Reformation Day. So if you're listening, happy Reformation Day. Woohoo! Hey. Happy Reformation Day! I'm going to have to pull the soundboard around from away from the kids. Um. Yeah, Steve. <laughs> young, young, <laughs> I'm sorry. Youngsters these days, but... It's, it's like when the law comes in, right? And it's like, yeah... I'd sin because it, it makes me realize how simple I am. Don't touch the hot stove. I'm going to touch the hot stove. Don't touch the buttons. To be fair, you did not say don't touch the buttons. I'm yeah, going to put a sign on the button saying that. do not touch. Well, until you do that. <laughs> you can't blame me. <laughs> uh, Anyways. So today I am joined by Curtis Rogers. What do you got? Extraordinaire. Um, David Drover. Hello, hello. And Stephen Da. Hello. Salut. Souvier. Aduk. Aduk. Pretty good guess. Um, Gonna so be a good episode. What do you think of the Reformation? It's a pretty open ended question there. <laughs> do you want to answer it? <laughs> what do you think of the Reformation? There's lots of things to think about the Reformation. Well, well I, mean, we I think first and foremost, we might want to know what the Reformation is. Well, I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess that's the end of the show then. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Get rid of all that academic, you know, uh, discussion and those questions that people have asked. I mean, there was a few years ago, somebody said, uh, asked the question, is the Reformation over? And a whole bunch of books were written about it. But yeah, it, it's good. It's good. The Reformation is good. That's a great. Ten, I like ten. your approach, Steve. What is the Reformation? There we yeah. go. Let's define that. 10 out of 10 would, would, would reform again. Cut that out, please. This is like the this is like the Seinfeld <laughs> of podcasts now. We don't I, talk about anything. I guess about nothing. Um, so, what is the Reformation? Well, the Reformation is a period in history, uh, starting in about the fifteenth, uh, the sixteenth century, whereby people would uh, point out the fallacies and difficulties within the Roman Catholic Church, which, which was the Western Church, and uh, aim to try and get the church altered or reformed into something a little bit more godly. Or from the Roman Catholic perspective. It was a bunch of per, uh, people who decided that they w didn't want to submit to the truth of the Church of Rome, and so uh, began to rebel do doctrinally from the Church of Rome. Mm -hmm. So which side do you fall on? We would be Protestants or on the Reformed side of things. You're protesting ants? No. No, he is a protest ant. Exactly. Mm, An yeah. ant that specializes in protest. Exactly. Though, I mean, seriously, uh, Protestants are the entire segment of Christians that are separated from the Roman Catholic Church post the uh, Council of Trent. Um, hmm. 
-hmm. So why is this an important thing? I mean, here in Newfoundland, we don't really know much about it. I mean, let's be honest, growing up, I never heard much about the Reformation. Nope. I never heard anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a number of things. I mean, I guess starting off, like even talking about why it's necessary and therefore why it's important today. Um, I mean, at the time, it a lot of it came down. Well, I shouldn't say there were a lot of things, a lot of issues, as Steve mentioned, that, that were up. I think, what was it, 90, 95 thesis? Uh, Martin Luther on uh, October 31st of 1517 posted 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg Cathedral, uh, things that he wanted to have a disputation over. So are, 95, are, we, are we sure it wasn't 95 theses? I mean, it wasn't Halloween Day. No, it, it, it was Halloween Day. I mean, Halloween is All Hallows' Eve. So it is Halloween Day, uh, but because it was All Saints, the day before All Saints Day, he figured a bunch of people would be going to church for Mass. And Smart. so if he posts this disputation on the door, he'll get a bunch of people to respond to him. Mm -hmm. Smart. So it was not and, 95 Reese's. And because no, of... not 95 Reese's. Not I'm, 95 I'm, Reese's. I'm glad we cleared that up. So... 95 theses, and the Pope ain't one. <laughs> Actually, the Pope's <laughs> several of them, but... Anyway. There you go. All right, continue, Dave. But, um, yeah, just on that note, too, like, there's that famous picture of him. I mean, I don't... might not exactly look like him, but kind of nailing it to the door of the, of the Catholic Church. But the other thing to notice about this as well is that, just given the point in time in history... Um, the printing press was was available and used, so this actually got printed a lot and then spread a lot too. So it wasn't right. just like one church; it was actually at a time in history where it could kind of blow up. Um, I guess, in to put it in modern terms, if it went viral or something yeah. like that, right? The equivalent of you know going viral on Twitter or something. Actually, it just reminded me of something. It was a meme, and it was Martin Luther nailing the thesis or theses to the door of the church mm -hmm. and it had the Taylor Swift lyrics saying look what you made me do <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually a pretty uh, pretty good explanation of what was going on because the fact is mm -hmm. Martin Luther was just kind of the lightning rod for this uh, for this whole thing because mm -hmm. there were a lot of people who were saying this both before and after Martin Luther that yeah. there were there were things in the Roman Catholic Church that well, and the, we say Roman Catholic Church now. That's kind of a an anachronism in the Catholic Church that needed to be reformed because there were a whole bunch of problems going on, uh, things that uh, both in the sense of doctrinal issues, but also in ways of using the people that uh, the general populace for the sake of uh, the power of the church. And I was I was reading a bit about uh, Martin Luther in uh, one of my church history books. And it was talking about how, you know, as a monk, he was he, he was basically, yeah, trying to wrestle with his own sinful nature. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't resolve himself, no matter, like, you know, how many, of you know, Hail Marys or whatever he did. He couldn't get away from the fact that he was a wretched sinner. Right. And, you know, he, he just couldn't find that within the church of the time. Mm -hmm. And he goes back to Scripture, and lo and behold, he finds... Traditionally... Uh, salvation by grace alone through faith alone mm -hmm. yeah. in Jesus Christ alone apart from works of the law which changes everything yeah well also just to, to paint or sorry Curtis we better jump in no you keep going okay I was gonna say just to even paint the picture a little bit more of Luther if you read more up on the guy like so this was a guy who would literally because he was so overwhelmed with his sin would go to the confessional for hours upon end um, and he was petrified of the fact that he might sin and then instantly die 
not necessarily because of the sin, but just he could, I don't know, get hit by lightning or, or something. Like something could happen to him, and he wouldn't have been in the confessional to be able to atone for his sins. And I, this isn't the exact quote, but one time he, he was asked, like, you know, do you love God? And he said, you know, do I love God sometimes, but sometimes I hate him mm-hmm. um, because of the fact that he had his, the, his view of God's righteousness was totally off from what we would see in scripture, or at least the way we interpret scripture, because he would see it all in the negative sense, because God is this just God who is righteous, and, you know, he is going to punish me for my sin, um, unless I can somehow atone for that, or, or, you know, be at the confessional, all that kind of stuff. So there was this huge, like, wrestling match, and, and torment, and struggle for him to deal with his own sin and guilt, um, and it took, I think it was in, in 1513, a lot of scholars will say he kind of started this journey of of figuring out kind of um, this new theology, this this thing of justification by faith alone, and that kind of hit that like climax point. I think it was in fifteen nineteen when he was studying Romans one seventeen. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he where he had that moment of like, that I think our experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, where he just kind of realized that that the righteousness that that Christ's righteousness becomes ours and God I think the terms that he uses is that God's righteous is not or that is passive yeah um, in a sense so yeah it's important to understand sort of what the Roman Catholic Church was at that time in order to understand what Martin Luther was really reacting against um, I guess he, he said in that entire experience what was it I felt it as though I was altogether born again and entered mm-hmm. paradise through open gates yeah and, and, and that was a relief for him because um, you know he was he was a good monk he 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 followed you know every the sacramental penitential um system you know down to the letter and um you know i I think when when the scala sancta or the the steps and i can't remember what they're called um when he was climbing them and um and praying throughout and then got to the top and 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 realized you know and thought you know was that even worth it at all so there's this there's this very much this systematized um, way of doing penance and works and deeds and things like that that were instituted um, by the Catholic Church and indulgences was one of them, which is probably maybe the the spark that that lit the flame initially right. mm-hmm. for Luther. Um, but sort of un- understanding the really salvation and how you attain salvation is the core undergirding of the Reformation. And, and and that's really what, you know, started the dispute. Yeah, so just to get... Or sorry, Steve, you can jump in if you'd rather. But. Well, I was just going to explain a little bit, you know, because uh, it, it's important to recognize the differences between the positions here. Mm-hmm. The Roman Catholic Church's position, officially, is that uh, when you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, you are saved, but you can you continue on in your life after salvation and you can actually pr- produce venial sins, which will take you a little bit away from the gospel, or uh, actual cardinal sins, which knock you off the off the list altogether, and then you have to you know, essentially do, uh, do other forms of penance to get back on and into the accepted state of grace that God would have for you. Uh, and so there's a whole bunch of systematized things that you do to make sure that you get back on this. And one of them was uh, what's called an indulgence, which is where the church transfers some of its grace from the from its uh, big bank account of grace to your, you based on something you've done. And 
indulgences still exist within the Catholic uh, Catholic system. They just don't usually happen because you're giving money to build a cathedral. But and that was the problem that Martin Luther had. Mm-hmm. But it, and and of course the the result is that you under Martin Luther understood that if God truly is righteous, because I don't think he was wrong on this point, God really truly is righteous. And if God is righteous, when we sin, we have to have some way of being re- reconciled to him. And the, un- the the problem that he had was that he was following this system of Catholicism, which would actually say that you need to either do righteousness yourself or have grace provided to you by the church. And the fact is, if you don't have that, you're not acceptable to God. And he rightly was terrified of a God he was not reconciled with, yeah. saved by grace. And just to build on that too, um, I think we've done podcasts in the past talking about these two words, justification and sanctification. I mean, one way you could look at it is as Protestants, post-Reformation, things like that, we would believe that when you have faith in Christ, you are justified and then sanctification follows. Whereas the Catholic traditional position, and I I guess I believe the current position, Mm -hmm. would be almost as Steve was talking about, it's like you get saved and, and you're being sanctified and then only after that you get justified. So it's that swap where there's sanctification, then justification if you're on the Catholic side of things versus justification, then sanctification um, on the Protestant side of things. So Steve, as, as you were saying, from the Protestant side, we believe once you put your faith in Christ, you are accepted by God, period, done, final. Right. And then as a result of that, you will be um, you know, pursuing holiness, you will be sanctified, you will grow to be more like Christ. But those are effects of the cause of justification, exactly. Not actually, the cause of your justification. Whereas the Catholics would say that you know, part of your you are saved by grace, but then also you you work and you you build up that merit, which will then at the end justify you. Yeah, and, if, and if you you're, if you get it right, and if you are super awesome, and you be, you're a saint by the end of it. If you have done enough good works, you have works of super arrogation, which means they're more than what you needed. Mm-hmm. And that'll fault transfer into that massive uh, uh, store of grace that the church has and can be handed out by the church in the in instances of indulgences. So does which, anyone know where this merit treasure chest store came from? Like, it's the weirdest idea to me that you can store up other people's merit. And so like, legit, like... I, I I haven't seen anything. I haven't been able to read anything of like where that idea came from. Well, and, and again, this it's important to recognize that when we talk about the Protestant Reformation, it, it, we're talking about an individual thing, an event in history, but it's actually taking an entire constellation of ideas mm-hmm. and criti- critiquing them. I mean, that's one of the critiques. Where the heck did we get this? Another one would be the question of purgatory or... Uh, there's a whole bunch of things that the uh, because Protestants have a different set of understandings about what where we get truth and where we understand the truth of what God would tell us, then we come to these different conclusions. I mean, for example, one of the things that we would say is uh, you get uh, you get knowledge of God from the Scripture alone, which would mean that you know you have to find it in the Scriptures. The Catholic Church actually doesn't believe that. They would believe that you can get some information through the tradition of the church. And so if the magisterium of the church actually reports something that is that they've discerned as actual godliness, then that's true. And I would say that the store of grace is one of those things. So purgatory is real in the sense that 
you're driving down Spear Highway. Not in how the Catholic Church says, because if, if you're listening and you've ever driven, driven down Beta Spear Highway, it doesn't end. It just doesn't end. Same thing going down Buren. And if you're not from Newfoundland, uh, Beta Spear is actually spelled as the French for Bay of Hope. But, it, com- but it comes out Bay Despair, and the second is yeah. more a- accurate when it comes to the road on the way there. It is very despairing. Like, you run out of trees, and it's just barrens. And it's funny because Dave and, Dave and Curtis are just like, uh, like they have no idea. But you, you run out of trees, and it's just barrens and berry bushes and caribou, and that's it. Now, of course, uh, if you're going to be all purgatorial about it, I mean, what purgatory actually means is that you have uh, something that's going to be working on your uh, remaining sinfulness to make you at least ex- make you acceptable for heaven. Because again, purge it from you. Exactly. Hence, pur- purgatory. Well, how long that drive is, it definitely makes me aware of my sin. I, I can tell you that. <laughs> and it does feel like something is being slowly burned off of you as you so, go there. Very slowly and painfully. Um, but so the se- sale of indulgences, let's look at, let's, let's look at that real quick. Um, like what, what was an indulgence and like what, what did it get you? Well, essentially, as Steve said, the whole concept of works of supererogation and extra merit from saints and Mary, et cetera, that you could um, appeal to and the church could provide you with, well, you could exchange that for an indulgence. An indulgence was something that the church offered you. Um, in, in the case uh, of during the Protestant Reformation time, oftentimes that exchange meant that you gave them physical currency yep. for an indulgence. So you're essentially paying for um, less time in purgatory or for the soul of a loved one who's already um, dead. Um, you know, the famous, was it John Tetzel? The, the the famous salesman of indulgences had like a little chime that said, uh, a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Yeah, that's the, that, that's the history. Uh, and, and it's important to notice that a, a that's only one form of the indulgence. Yeah. The indulgence is actually the thing that the church gives you in response to something that you do. Yeah. Uh, there's an example. A few years ago, there was a plenary indulgence declared on one of the doors of St. Peter's Cathedral. So if you walk through this door during the point, period of a plenary indulgence, you your sins are purged from you by going through this thing by, based on the excess grace of the saints being given to you by walking through the door. Is it a narrow door? I think it was, actually. You walked through? Okay, yeah. at least you walked through a narrow door to cut that part, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, guys, like, why is all this history important? Like, So, Reformation Day, we have Martin Luther being kind of upset with the Roman Catholic Church, where it was at that point, um, criticizing the indulgences and a few other practices and, you know, um, wanting a return to Scripture. Uh, why, why is this important for us to remember right now? Well, I, I think for starters, it's so that we don't have to live like Martin Luther lived so much of his life. I mean, if you think about the theology and what that means for your practical day-to-day living of just being guilty all the time, being constantly afraid, actually hating God, I mean, who who wants to live a life like that? But that's where the theologically, theologi- yeah, theology actually leads you. So because of the Reformation, I mean, we we don't have to, you know, live like that or feel that kind of guilt because we know um, differently um, as God teaches in his word. And actually, I'll get to that second part later. I'll let others jump in. Well, I mean, and that's one point. And I'd also say that it's important that we recognize because of the differences in 
in these things that the church is not uh, the powerful entity that uh, during Martin Luther's time it would have been. And, and I mean, let's be honest, there are a lot of pastors that would use this, would love to have the kind of power that 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 involves. Like, you know, don't don't touch the Lord's anointed, or, you know, you have to agree with me and accept what I say so that you can go to heaven. Yeah, I mean, there are people who will st- say that even today, and one of the reasons why we would agree with the Protestant Reformation that you need to, uh, why I would agree with Sola Scriptura, it's like, if I, as even as your pastor, say something that is not backed up in Scripture, you don't have to believe it. Mm-hmm. And... I'm not the one who controls access to access to God. That's that's Jesus. <laughs> that's what I find really neat about um, Martin Luther when he goes in defense of himself and he's ordered to you know stand on trial and that and he he you know resolves at the most himself. interestingly uh, stated the diet of worms. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been on the diet of worms, but I probably wouldn't recommend it if I was. Nope. <laughs> diet meaning meeting and worms being the place where it was. Don't ruin this for me. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but he resolved himself to say, basically, you need to prove your case from Scripture against me. I'm not going to take the Pope's word. I'm not going to take the Church's word. I'm not going to take tradition. I'm going to stand on Scripture, solo Scripture, Scripture alone. And you need to prove your case from Scripture. Otherwise, I'm not stopping what I'm doing. Yeah, I mean, a, that's a pretty bold position to take. Yeah, and I mean, uh, we, we're not sure if the actual disp- the actual words that were used there were historically there, but there's this movie by uh, that was done a few years ago with Ralph Fiennes in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Luther, where he actually just stands there at the Diet of Worms and expresses what it is. And I, I can't remember the wording pri- well. I probably should have brought it in here. But something like, unless I can be convinced by Scripture and sound reason. Yeah. Uh, I I can I'm captive to the word of God. I cannot I, recant. I, I I neither will can recant nor will recant. Yeah. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Yeah. And and on that note, like the the outflow of this, I mean, talk about why it's important today. You know, because of what Luther did and others did, as Steve mentioned, you know, it wasn't just Luther. He was just kind of one of the main figures. But post that, you know, we we have the gospel Protestantism going into places like England um, and a guy named Tyndale, is it William Tyndale? William, yeah. first name? Yeah. Um, actually was chatting with somebody um, and they said something to the effect of if I had to go either without the Bible or go without the Pope's law or God's law or without the Pope's law, I'd be better off going without God's law. And then Tyndale was spurred from that moment to say, you know what, like, I'm going to make it my life's mission to translate the New Testament into English. And in 1523... By God's grace, uh, by the time I am finished, the plowboy will know more of the Word of God than you will. There you go. That's the quote. So he he went out. That was his life's mission, to go out and print, you know, go back to the original Greek-Hebrew texts, or I guess Greek for New Testament. Um, He he eventually did some Hebrew in the Old Testament as well. But... um, Anyways, to go and print English texts of the Bible so that the lay people could read it, um, which is huge. I mean, think about if nobody in the church could just get a Bible and read it. I mean, that's that would change so much. So, he, like, the start of this led into that. And then by the 1530s, 1540s, you know, people in London and southern England actually really started um, to be passionate about the Word, and they would talk about it around the table. And, yeah. I mean, obviously, that's huge. 
And, um, and of course, you have to remember, uh, under Catholic doctrine, it was a bad idea to actually have a scripture in the vernacular or the or the language of the people. And in fact, services in the vernacular in the Catholic Church are a post-Vatican II thing yeah. in like the 1960s. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, th- I think the key um, thing that aff- affects us all today is is the his Martin Luther's understanding of justification and, and how it differed from the Roman Catholic Church and how you know we believe it, it got back to what the Bible really said, which of course drastically affects about how how we believe in Christ and how we trust Christ and um, really that is the core core doctrine of the Christian faith. Yeah. Now, of course, uh, there would be negatives that people would point to as uh, parts uh, children of the Protestant Reformation as well. I mean, the fact is, right now, uh, any person can buy a Bible, read it, and try to interpret it. And while it is a good thing to have that in the in one sense, I mean, the fact is, it's easy to misinterpret the Bible. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, let's take a Newfoundland perspective on this. Um, our Uh-oh. other intern, no, this is great. Our other intern, Robert. Um, told me a story from his grandfather. He's not sure if this is true or not, but it sounds sounds more like a newfie, you know, a newfie telling of uh, one of the indulgences. So uh, this family, they're Roman Catholic, and uh, you know, someone in their family died, and they you know, they went to purgatory, and they were told, you know, if you want them to get a purgatory, you have to pay an indulgence. You have to pay you know, X amount of money. So the family paid X amount of money, and uh, you know, as time goes on priest comes back again wanting more money and they're like well by what what do you want more money for and he said well he's almost true he's almost true <laughs> what do you mean he's almost true and they said well his head is true but the rest of him was not if you want the rest of him to get through you need to pay more and so he look at the priest and say well boy if his head is true they can get the rest of him through <laughs> although oh, actually oh they're actually telling me is if his head is true they can they, sure nothing is ours true too so uh, <laughs> No, that's better. <laughs> but I mean, that's a Newfoundland, you know, outlook. Basically, I would think of, you know, one he's, of almost, he's almost true. How do you know he's almost true? <laughs> well, I mean, that, that, that's, that's <laughs> per, there's a lot of questions to ask about, which is why it's important. Like we've yeah. always said on this podcast, yeah, get into your Bible, know know your scripture. Don't you know separate chunks of scripture from its context, and just know what your Bible mm-hmm. says. Like get into the Word of God. And by the way, just. In case people want to go and read some texts that are, you know, talking about justification, things like that. Romans one seventeen was huge for Luther. Romans yeah. three, I think twenty one to twenty seven. I that's might not have no one is good. No something around good. there. Yeah. Um. I actually asked you throw Romans three, even if you start at verse nine, yeah. and then go all the way down to like twenty seven or something yeah. like that. No, if Ephesians Rome. Ephesians two as well. You know, Ephesians two one to ten. Yeah. Galatians two fifteen to twenty one. Uh, nobody's using Romans eight. Right, my faith. It's another one. Yeah. Yep. No. Yeah. Because we have chatted more about like the Roman Catholic view of justification, but I mean, just to quickly summarize Luther's view, because you know, he Luther did say even in in the bondage of the will that indulgences in the papacy were basically secondary, tertiary to to the main um, idea, um, and w- which is justification by faith alone, and right. and you know his sort of three main pillars of of it were, you know, imputation, a fancy word, um, by faith alone, and simul justice et peccator, which is, means simultaneously a uh, sinner and righteous. Right. Um, because the Protestant view of justification is that 
God's righteousness is not just constantly meted out upon you. Rather, that's something that's given to you as a gift. So Luther's like, how can I stand before God, a sinner, when God is holy and righteous? Well, Luther's concept, well, after, post his sort of, you know, um, tower experience and things like that, was that it's given to you by God. It's not righteousness of your own, so that when you trust in Christ, that's why it's by faith alone, grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. God gives you his righteousness as a gift. Or imputes and, it to you. And, yeah, and and uh, yeah, imputes it to you. And because of that, he views you as righteous, because he views you through the lens of, of righteousness of Jesus Christ. As opposed to the Catholic perspective, which is infusionary, which would say that as you come to saving faith, God then slowly throughout your lifetime infuses righteousness into you. Yeah. And then you are saved by the fact that you have enough righteousness infused yeah. into yeah. you to get into heaven. Yeah. Justification is instantaneous. It happens. God declares you righteous instantly when you trust in Christ. And just to top it all off, one that we forgot, but Second Corinthians five twenty one, For our sake he made him to be sin, that's Christ, who knew no sin, so that in him we, us, might become the righteousness of God. Right. And that's why you should care about the Reformation. Um, no, I mean, this is, let's be legit here. This is not something that was really taught growing up. Um, you kind of took your faith for granted and no real church history or no one really spoke about what Reformation was. I mean, I came from Pentecostal Church and Curtis, you came from Salvation Army I think church. I first learned about the Reformation in grade 12 European history class. In, in public high school. I think Not I knew, I knew I've, I've heard of, I might have heard a bit of it turning up, I'm um, sorry, as a teenager, but like it's more so for my own study just because, you know, the internet was getting more popular and stuff and I'm dating myself now. Well, but uh, <laughs> I mean, when I was growing up and I grew up a lot, uh, much before you guys, yep. I mean, we were, we still didn't really have a lot of understanding of what the Reformation is. I mean, I can remember uh, somebody telling me that Protestant meant uh, Henry VIII against the uh, protesting the, the divorce against the Pope, which of course is not the case. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people just throw that out there. Oh, it's Henry the Eighth. Like, okay. <laughs> well, except the Protestant Reformation had already happened for decades before that. Exactly. And interestingly enough, in the debates about uh, Reformation during that time, uh, Henry the Eighth wrote a large treatise against Luther, yeah. which is the reason that he was called the defender of the faith. By the Pope. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Again, uh, this is a real discussion. It is a real debate, and there are real, real differences between the Catholic position and the Protestant position. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's good to know why, and it's good to know like why this happened, how we got to this point, and why there is a split. Mm -hmm. I got a feeling there's probably a good number of you know Roman Catholics and even Protestants on the island who don't know why, why we're split. And I don't know how many Catholics I came across. Oh, you're a Christian too. <laughs> And well, when and, you get and, into... and, and to be honest, I can't judge the actual relationship of an individual to God mm -hmm. based on, you know, what label you take. Absolutely. It matters about what your, where your faith is. Mm -hmm. But I mean, and this, this gets to one of the problems that like we've, we, we said, we've, we've had this whole entire th show about the Reformation, but the fact is dealing with the Reformation is a huge deal. I mean, we're talking about an event that it took centuries to go through. We're talking about a lot of foment of different ideas working throughout Europe and a lot of different things. And so we're not really going to be able to understand it in a short little time like this. No, I mean, we, I mean, we brought up, you know, Luther going back to scripture himself, 
looking at the original languages. We're talking about the printing press. We're talking about the German people getting the Bible in their own language. Mm-hmm. Um, ideas developed, theologies developed after this, um, other denominations forming. Um, split to split from the Roman Catholic Church. There's so much involved in this that we just can't wrap up in or half hours. Issues of the Counter Reformation mm-hmm. and of the periods of the Catholic development post this. I mean, the reason that uh, the, a Catholic Bible and the Protestant Bible look different. Um, Council of Trent. Exactly, but uh, that's a, that's a good easy way of saying it. But that's the Council of Trent took decades. Yeah. But this is something um, I would encourage you, if you're listening, to even look into. Um, yeah, know your Bible, but it doesn't hurt also know your history of how we got our Bible, right. um, of, of you know where your denomination came from, wherever you find yourself, uh, and even like just the struggles people went through to get to where you find yourself now. Um, we have so many brothers and sisters in the faith who you know struggled so much to get us to where we are to even have a Bible in our plain language in our hands today. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it, it's not important to know this from the perspective of, you know, your salvation. No. But I mean, it is important to recognize that there's a heck of a lot more depth to the Word of God and to what it does in your life than uh, a couple of quick bumper stickers that we often think through in the modern world. The, the gospel is a very deep, very, very deep intellectual, spiritual well, uh, and you can see parts of it in the way that God has worked through history. Well, that's the thing, right? It's not like Martin Luther was just, hey, I'm an activist. I'm going to protest this because I don't like what the Catholic Church is doing. No, he was convictional. Oh, no question. He went back to Scripture, and he was convicted by the glory, the gloriousness and the righteousness of the God that he served, and he saw that in Scripture, but he did not see in that and how the Church was going but, about mean, its daily... In the, in, in the idea of great people, I mean, the German language developed because of Martin Luther's work in the Luther people. And because of his conviction of who his God was and how right. you came to faith. Like, it's... <laughs> it, the impact the Bible has had on history is amazing. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a great episode for Reformation Day. Um, maybe we'll make this a regular thing. Maybe next year we'll touch a bit more on, like, how the Reformation worked out and what happened after this. Um, but yeah, I encourage you to look into church history, if you, especially if you're passionate about history. Um, if not, you know, here's a little history lesson to you in half hour. With that said, uh, thanks for listening to this special episode on a Monday, and we'll catch you again next week. You've been listening to Rugged Theology. Rugged Theology is brought to you by Mile One Mission. If you want to know more about Mile One Mission and our work in Newfoundland and Labrador, visit www.mileonemission.ca.